Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, GCC family and all other viewers. I want to welcome you as you're joining us for our first live stream here. And so, uh, just some quick announcements. Each Sunday at church, we do announcements. We're going to continue to do some announcements to keep you guys up to speed on what's going on. So first, gospel communities. Uh, we're actually continuing during this time and during this season to meet as gospel communities, not in person, but via Zoom. And so if you're actually interested in being plugged into a community, getting involved in community, we would actually encourage you to do that in this time. And one of the ways that you can do that is by contacting hunter at gccugene.org. So hunter at gccugene.org. And she'll actually uh, email you back and then we'll be in contact with you. We'll get you all the information that you need to get you plugged into a gospel community. We, we, we understand in these times, uh, especially the crazy times and season that we find ourselves in right now, the importance of community. And so it's a time for us with our gospel communities to meet in, to, uh, to just check in on one another and see what's going on in one another's lives. So I would encourage you guys to do that. In light of our times being crazy, and in light of so much just bad news on media and all that sort of stuff, ultimately what we're going to deliver today is the good news. The gospel is, trans is actually translated good news, and so that's what people need, that's what um, the church needs, that's what our world needs during a time where there's so much fear and so much craziness, but also um, we just need a little bit of laughter. So anyone that knows me knows that I like stand-up comedy, I like laughter, laughter is medicine for the soul, and so it's actually uh, uh, has uh, medicinal values to it as well, and so it uh, helps with our immune systems, it helps with stress. And so we thought it'd be great to bring you some memes during this time. So we'll do like one minute in memes. And so I don't know if you guys are laughing. I'm just hoping that right now you guys are hysterically laughing as we go through some of these memes. So these are some memes uh, right now that are going on in our culture. So this one is extremely relevant for us right now. Uh, so pray for pastors as they attempt to make this Sunday's live stream not look like a Bin Laden capture video. So as our first time, please pray for us during this. Next, here we have Forrest Gump. <laughs> and just like that, we were all TV evangelists. <clears throat> Next. <laughs> big, big fan of this one. <laughs> this is how we're all going to look after 18 months of cutting our own hair. So, yes. Yeah, so, <clears throat> this is all us in the future. And probably one of my favorites to end on is crazy times we're living in. I used to cough to hide a fart. Now I fart to hide a cough. So there you go. Minute of memes for the crazy times we're in and just some laughter for the soul. And so uh, with that, we're actually going to be uh, preaching on prayer uh, this morning. And so uh, as we dive into the sermon on prayer, uh, we're going to uh, be in Matthew. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 is where we're going to be at this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to pray for us uh, in just a minute. I'm going to give you guys a second to turn there, either in your Bibles uh, or on your phone. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. We're going to do a two-part series. We don't believe prayer is, is like a backup plan. We believe the most important thing that we can do right now in our culture and, and, and the, the, the best, the healthiest thing, and the most important thing that we can do is actually pray. And what we need to do and what our culture needs and what society needs is a praying people. 
We need a people that are praying diligently, that are taking prayer seriously. Um, but the reality is this, as we look at prayer, is that uh, some, 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 some questions arise. So on average, people spend two hours and 33 minutes every day on social media, which we're, uh, we're up a whole hour from 2012. We spend around five hours a day watching TV, which is up one whole hour from 2017. We spend an average of 42 minutes a week on the toilet. You know, for some people that's conquered in one setting. And here's the reality. Barnes did a study and according to the average person, the average person spends one minute in, in prayer each day and pastors five minutes. So all of this raises a few questions. Do we know how to pray? Do we understand the value of prayer? Do we value prayer? Do we understand who we're praying to? And so these are some of the questions that we need to wrestle with today. Is our first response to crisis prayer? Do we value prayer? Do we see and, uh, just the deep meaning of prayer? What is going on with prayer and how much our culture needs us to be praying? So with that, join me as we pray and dive in this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. Um, we thank you for the crazy, odd season that we're in. We thank you that, Jesus, you are king who sits on the throne and that you call the shots. We trust that you are using this time and this season to spread the gospel. We trust that you're using this time and season to uh, strengthen our faith. We pray that you're using this time and season for the church to respond with what it looks like to be the church, to love, to serve, and to encourage others. We know throughout history, Lord, that you have uh, used even the persecution of the church to spread the message of the gospel. And so we pray through this time and in this season, you would continue to do that. Uh, we, we, we pray for Lane County. We pray for um, uh, our, our, our nation. We pray for our country. We pray for our world and for our leaders to be led, Father, by you and by your wisdom. We pray for those that are uh, meeting this morning with us, that are listening in, that you would uh, open ears and open hearts to hear and to receive from you this morning. We pray that through the power of your spirit, you would minister into the homes and into the lives of our people this morning through your word and through the gospel. We need you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, <clears throat> for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Imagine this. Imagine that you work for a grocery store and you oversee the safety and the surveillance and you are watching on the cameras a young child. And there's this young child who's looking up at the top shelf in the grocery store at the cereal box that they really want, but there's no possible way that they can reach it. And so you can see them on the camera just kind of flustered by this. And then the child does something next. This small child who's short and can't reach it um, starts reaching out to other children around and, and asking for help. So now you have a whole group of small children uh, talking and brainstorming about how to get this 
box of cereal off this top shelf. You actually see them pull out their smartphones because uh, they're like four or five. This is America and we think it's a good idea for little children to have smartphones and be on social media. And so they pull out their smartphones and they're Googling uh, how to get the, the cereal off the top shelf. They're talking with one another, they're plotting and they're planning. All this you see and you are blown away. You are floored, why? Why are you floored? Because on the camera what you see is a seven foot man standing next to them and next to the cereal that they want who could very easily just reach up and grab the cereal off the shelf and give it to them. The reality is oftentimes I think that we're the children in this story, that we are the children who have access to the God of the entire universe, who created everything, who's in control of everything, and we can access him at any time through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We can ask him anything, we can lay anything bare before him, but oftentimes what we do is we plot, plan, we call, we run to everyone else, we run to everything else besides first running to God and letting that, our, uh, letting that be our first response. And as Tony Morita says, that God can do more through one prayer than mankind through a hundred years of plotting and planning. And so let's remember that as we dive in. We're, we're in Matthew's gospel. That's where we find ourselves today. Who is Matthew? First of all, Matthew was a publican. He was a tax collector. He is someone who would be hated by the Jewish community. Why? because he was a sellout to the Roman government. So what, what tax collectors did is they would tax people uh, for the Roman government, but they would tax them extra so they could put some uh, money in their own pocketbooks. And, and they were extortioners. They would oftentimes hire bouncers uh, to, to rough people up to get money out of them. And so they, 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 in a sense, were outcasts from the Jewish community, worse off than a Gentile, because uh, tax collectors actually couldn't even go to synagogues. They couldn't worship or sacrifice because they had sold themselves out for this uh, lifestyle of being a tax collector. So uh, needless to say, they, they, they were hated and despised. Matthew, who delivers us this gospel that we are reading from today, that we are preaching from today, was one of Jesus' disciples. What we see by that is that Jesus doesn't all, uh, he doesn't call the people that, that by the world standards are savable or redeemable. Jesus goes to the broken, he goes to the needy, and that's who he saves. So this gospel is delivered us by this man, Matthew, who was a disciple of Jesus, who was once a tax collector, who then became a, a disciple, and that's who's delivering uh, it to us today. He's telling us about Jesus' famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we find ourselves today. We are in the Sermon on the Mount. We are actually, this is what's amazing, right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of it is where we're at today, which is Jesus teaching on prayer. You have about 100 lines before and 100 lines after, right smack in the middle. Jesus, delivering this sermon, talks about prayer. And here's the thing. No one else decided to give another sermon on prayer. The Apostle Paul, anyone else. Why? Because the Master, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came down and he taught on prayer. And here's the beautiful thing. He did it in such a simple way. He made prayer simple, not complex, but to where anyone can do it and any child can do it. And so that's what we look at today. We're going to do this in a two-part series. Today, part one. Next week, part two. Today, we're looking at the negatives. These are the things that Jesus said, don't do this. Next week, we'll look at what Jesus says, here's what you do when you pray. But today, we're going to look at some of the negatives. And uh, sandwiched in between there, we do have one positive. But let's start in with verse five. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into the room 
and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who, who sees in secret will reward you. Right now, we are just going to look at verse 5, the, the, the first part of that. Who are the hypocrites? What is going on? Who is Jesus addressing? Jesus is addressing the people at this time that wanted to pray on the busiest street corners. Jesus is addressing the people that wanted to be seen and heard. Jesus is addressing the people that wanted to offer up really lofty prayers and lofty words. But at the heart of what Jesus is addressing, he's addressing the hypocrites, the people whose driving motive is man's approval. So today we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the main point is this, a perfect prayer life. That, that what we need is a perfect prayer life. Please don't, don't log off, check out, because I know that when you hear the word perfect, for, for many and for me, it stirs up tension because maybe we have lived a, a, a life feeling the need to be perfect and, 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 and feeling like we have to measure up. And so that word just stirs up a lot of just, uh, just negativity for us. Please stick it out with me and hear what I mean by this till the end. Is that a perfect prayer life is what we need. First in verse 5, we see this, that a perfect motive is what's needed. So the motive of the hypocrites was, if I pray on the busiest street corners, and if I pray and I look really amazing, and if I sound really amazing, then what will happen to me is I will get the approval of man. And Jesus makes it clear. He, look what he doesn't uh, say. He, he doesn't say, thus says God. Jesus doesn't speak like that. He says, truly, I say to you. Why does he say that? Because Jesus is not a prophet alone, like we see in the Old Testament, declaring something for God. Jesus is God in the flesh. This is him proving. This is what I say. God is speaking right now. Truly, I say to you that if the reward from man is what you want, that's what you'll get, but that's all you'll get. And as we know, that's emptiness and it's vanity. And so first of all, a perfect motive is what's needed. Don't be like these people. Don't pray for the praise of man. I know that for me personally, that when I started uh, following Jesus, I was nervous to pray out loud and I was nervous to pray out loud in, in, in public settings. I was nervous to pray out loud with our small group and stuff like that. I actually told our pastor, I said, hey, I, I don't like praying out loud. Whenever I pray, I get really nervous and my voice starts to shake and all that just comes out is trembly, shaky words. And pressing into that, and that's what Jesus is doing. You have to understand, that's what God is always doing. Christ, in, our God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, is pressing into what our heart is believing, what our heart's beliefs are. My belief in that was that I cared so much about the praise of man that in that moment, it wasn't about me talking to God. It wasn't about me even pleading to God on behalf of other people. It was actually, how do I sound in front of other people and will they like the way I sound? Do I sound smart? Do I sound intelligent? Will I be thought well of by people by how I sound? And so in that is this fear of man. And in that, the only thing I'm focused on is not actually God's divine approval of me, but it's actually, will man give me his approval? So we see the emptiness there. So that's what first Jesus says, don't do. And so what's needed is actually a perfect motive, a motive that actually is praying from a heart that wants to plead for people, not for the praise of people. I believe it's why one time at Spurgeon's church, there was a man who was praying this long-winded prayer. This is one of my favorite stories about Spurgeon. And while he's praying this long-winded prayer that's just going on and on and on and on forever and ever, Spurgeon looks to the rest of the people 
at the congregation says, while our brother here finishes up his prayer, the rest of us are going to get started with today's sermon. And so sometimes what people do is just pray these real lengthy, long prayers to get the praise and approval of man. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. Next in verse, verse 6, he gives us a positive. He says, but when you pray this time, here's, here's what you do. You go into your room, you shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what he's addressing here is that Jesus isn't against public prayer. We see him praying publicly. But what is happening here is a way to remove the temptation and the pride of, of man's approval and wanting to be heard by man is actually developing a prayer life where we pray alone, where we pray by ourselves, where we pray alone with God. We see Jesus modeling this as well. And so actually what's needed and what he says is a perfect location, a, a location we can go and we can be alone with God to where at that moment, it's actually about pleading to God on the behalf of other people's souls and actually genuinely praying for people not to be heard by people and get the praise of man. And so the location matters. It matters to Jesus. And so it's, it, it is why Spurgeon says that whenever we pray like this, it's actually more about the soul's at that point than it is about the souls giving us praise. And so I believe that's why we need to do what Christ has said, to remove the temptation and pride of wanting to be heard and just actually going to spend time with God, to be with God, and to pray on behalf of other people. Next in verse 7, it says this, And when you pray, another negative, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. What's going on? Here is a perfect amount. We need to pray the perfect amount. The reality is, is that what's going on here and what the Gentiles would do, we see this in 1 Kings 18. Uh, you see Elijah, uh, um, he is heckling with the false prophets. And from morning till noon, the pro false prophets are crying out to Baal. And they're saying, oh, Baal, hear us. That's what they're saying over and over and over again. So much so to where that just becomes mindless, thoughtless, heartless speech. One author while I was reading, said that he grew up actually praying the rosary and that he got uh, to where he would do it and do it just as fast as he could so that he could get through it, which is 53 Hail Marys, six Our Fathers, and six Glory Bees. And so he would talk about this isn't something that, was, um, that, that, that he was actually really connecting to. For him, it was a task to get through. Why? Because at this point, it, uh, prayer becomes more about just a task, a, a, a religious uh, task or duty or ritual, something that we do to just to go through the motion. It's mindless, it's thoughtless, it's not us actually connecting our hearts and our minds to God. It's not us actually taking time to think about what we're praying about. It's us just doing and going through the motions. Why would we do something like that? What is the heart motive behind this? Sometimes the heart motive is this, is that people will sometimes pray like this and do this sort of thing because you think that the amount of time that you pray for is what's going to get you heard by God or get God's approval for you or uh, get God's acceptance. Uh, you might, the heart behind this might think that the most comfortable, uh, most uncomfortable position I can sit in. If I wake up in the morning, I get in a really hard and uncomfortable position. I don't drink coffee. I don't use the restroom first. I uh, am, am, am knelt down. I'm cramping. I'm in a real painful spot that those are the times where my prayers will really be heard by God. And if I can make them really long, then they'll really, really be good and really accepted by God. And this is a heart belief that the amount of words that I say, the amount that I pray, or even the posture that I find myself praying in 
is what's needed for God to hear and respond and have his approval. I think that's why Augustine said this, remove from prayer much speaking, not much praying. And it's also why Martin Luther, in his blunt way of speaking, said this, prayer should be brief, frequent, and intense. The Gentile delusion is that prayer meant making both God and oneself tired with yelling and murmuring. But the Christian's prayer is easy and it does not cause hard work. It presents its need from the heart. Faith quickly gets through telling what it wants. God has no need of such everlasting twaddle, as Luther said. It's not that prayer is not ever hard or difficult. It's not that we need our prayer to be hard and difficult for God to hear us and to accept our prayers. Which leads us into the next point, verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you, uh, what you need before you ask Him. This, this is a perfect relationship. What is at the heart of this? Is it sometimes these long prayers, sometimes these prayers with bad motives, are actually us not caring about the relationship that we have with God? When, when people go, well, if God already knows what I want before I ask Him, then what's the point of even asking? In that statement alone says really what you think about prayer is it's actually not about getting God himself, but about getting something from God. It's treating God like a genie. And so in that, it's not actually about the relationship where you get to go to God. It should be a comfort to us that God knows everything before we ask so that in going to him, he already knows our need. We don't have to say it perfectly the right way. We can be real honest and just lay it bare before God because he already knows. And in that way, what it becomes about is it's actually about us enjoying the relationship that we get to have with God, because he already knows. He knows what we need before we ask him. And so the heart motive behind this, again, is that maybe it's you think that with your long prayers or with doing something like that, that you can control God. Maybe you can make him love you more through your prayers. Maybe you can make him uh, answer your prayers more if you say them in a long way or just in an uncomfortable way. And all of that... It's trusting in you and it's trusting in how you pray and how much you pray and all of this. What's needed is a perfect prayer life. And so let me end with this, is the gospel is what we need. In, in, in this Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is sobering, if we understand it. He, he, is, he is presenting prayer and if we're being honest, that when Jesus does this, that no one goes, man, I do that. Like, I, I pray perfectly. I, I, I pray the right amount. I pray with the right motives. We should all be honest and say, I hardly pray. I don't pray with the right motives. I don't pray at the right location. I don't pray the right amount. I don't pray out of a relationship to get God. I just want something from him. This should drive us to go, uh-oh, we don't want to stand before God and God say, why should I let you into heaven today? And we go, my, my prayer life is awesome. Like, that is not where we would put our hope. We would say, man, we have failed. In, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that's what he's doing. The, the whole Sermon on the Mount is showing us that we can't do it. We need someone better. Uh, he is saying, uh, here's what lust is. Lust is actually adultery. You know that actually hating your brother is murdering your brother? And then he goes on to say this, is that your, your righteousness needs to be better than the Pharisees. And then he says the most sobering thing. You actually need to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. No, no one, if we're being honest, checks that box and go, yep, got it. I am perfect. I've done all those things. I'm perfect. And so what's going on is that means we have to check the other box, which is sinner. We haven't prayed a perfect prayer life. We don't pray perfect prayer lives. And here's the reality. Jesus Christ came and he lived on this earth. Every moment of every day, 
He prayed with the right motives, the right amount, and in the right way. He, he prayed valuing the relationship with God. He, he, he always did that. Every day he did that. And he went to the cross to offer up his perfect life of sacrifice to God. And that's what he did. He gave God that sacrifice of a perfect prayer life. And then what he did is he took the, 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 the punishment and the wrath from God for our rebellion, for all of our sins, the ways that we don't pray, the ways that we run to everyone and everything else, um, the ways that we are imperfect. He takes all of that upon himself. And what he does when we put our trust and faith in him is he gives us his perfect prayer life. So the way God sees us is not an imperfect prayer life, but God actually sees us as though we have a perfect prayer life because Christ has given us his through faith. Which means this, that on the cross, when Jesus was crying out those just devastating words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was going on was this, is in the moment when Jesus was crying out and pleading to God, where are you? What's going on? Is in that moment, Jesus was treated as someone who was a sinner, who was not able to gain access to God so that we as sinners can always rest assured that any time that we cry out to God, we will always be heard. What Jesus was doing us is, was making us sons and daughters who have full access to God, that we can pray to God at any moment, at any time during the day, and our prayers are acceptable to Him. We don't go, God, we don't go to God through prayer to gain acceptance and approval. God gives us His full acceptance and approval in Christ, and we pray out of that, which means that we pray with three things I will leave you guys with. Start small. Start small praying. Maybe make a commitment through the crisis that we find ourselves in to pray for five minutes a day right now and, and block out that time. But start small. If you start big, it's going to be hard to carry that on. Don't evaluate and let your emotions lead you. If you wait for a time when you just feel so excited to pray, then you'll be trusting in your emotions. During this time, our, our, our culture and our society needs us to put our devotion before our emotion. We need to be a people that pray and, and a people that are praying right now. The most valuable thing we can do is if we go back to the story of little children in the grocery store is cry out to God to use this in such a powerful way for our world in this time. The, the, our, our world and our society needs a praying people, church. Last, praying unites us in a unique and special way to the church family. And so pray for your brothers and sisters. Text them, encourage them, send them funny memes, do stuff like that. And I'll end with a Spurgeon quote today. Spurgeon said this. He said, give me a dozen people that are burning pleaders to God for the souls of man. And we will shake London from end to end. And I would say the same thing. Give us people that are pleading on behalf of our world and inside of Lane County right now. And let's watch the way that Christ shakes our county through this time from end to end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, for your word, for your grace, that we have access as children to run boldly into your presence, that we don't have to rest in our prayer lives, in our motives, but we get to look to Christ who prayed perfectly on our behalf. Let us go freely into the presence of Jesus with prayer during this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.